light out everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out Podcast. I'm your host, Josh. Tonight, we're taking a look at another case from the Warren Files. It's been a little while since we've covered a case from Ed and Lorraine Warren, but today, I've got a very creepy one for you for sure. Today, we'll be covering the exorcism of Maurice Therio. For those that don't know, Maurice was a man who cried tears of blood, teleported from room to room, spoke Latin backwards, and lifted a tractor with one hand. Many believed to use the powers of a demon that had embedded themselves into his body. Others, though, think it was all a hoax. But one thing's for sure, Maurice lived a troubled life from a brutal beginning to a violent end. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to remind everybody that the new Lights Out Limited Edition Skelly Plush is now available for purchase, and it's available for a limited time only. By the time this episode goes up, there will only be two weeks left to get your hands on a Lights Out Skelly Plush, which I have it right here. This is a collaboration with a company called Makeship, and what's cool about Makeship is that they allow you to create a custom plush toy, which is really cool. So I designed the whole thing from start to finish, and I gotta say, Skelly turned out absolutely amazing. So this is Skelly right here. It's actually a little bit bigger than you think it would be, especially from the website. Really happy with how he turned out, and right now, it's available for $27.99. And the way that this works is that you pre-purchase now, and then it will go into production later this year. So it'll be a little while before you actually get him, but he will be well worth the wait, I assure you. So take advantage of this right now. We're at over 56% funded. So this has to be 100% funded for anybody to receive a plush at all. So it's a great way to support the show. It's a fun thing that I wanted to try out. And I absolutely love the way that he turned out. And I think you will too. So that is over at makeship.com slash products slash lights out skelly plush. I will put the link below for you though. So you've got it. So yeah, Skelly is available for purchase now. Obviously, another great way to support the show is through MileHarmers.com. The Lights Out collection is there. There's still some items left. I'm going to be restocking a few items from our previous collection, which was like our Ram Skull. There was a Skull lighter one. There's some other cool designs I'm going to bring back, actually, and hopefully I'll be able to get those on the shelves here in the next month or so. But I'm also working on a Halloween collection, which will be coming out in October, of course. So very exciting things over at mileheimerch.com. But another way you can support me, the podcast, as well as just my company, Milehire Media in general, is through my CBD company. If you haven't tried it out yet, CBD is an absolutely great supplement. I take it daily. I take it for sleep. I take it for calm. There's so many great benefits to it. And my company, higherlevelwellness.com, has got a ton of different products there. I've got vapes. I've got wax. If you like to dab, I've got gummies. I've got topicals. I've got everything you need for CBD. So check that out, higherlevelwellness.com. You can use code lights out for 10% off. But yeah, there's no sponsors today. So that is the end of the selling spiel. So I appreciate those of you that have already gone out and supported the show via the lights out skelly or higher level wellness or merch. It really does help me out. And I really do appreciate you for supporting me. But let's go ahead and jump right into this very disturbing story of Maurice Therio. So Maurice Therio was born on March 26, 1935 in Durham, Maine, 
Duramaine is a small town towards the southern edge of the state, and there's only a few thousand people who live there. It was the kind of town where church was always used as the town hall, and religion had a strong hold on the locals. Even though this town was small, a lot of the farmers that lived in the area had really big families, and Maurice happened to be a part of one of those big families. In fact, he was the oldest of 15 children. During Maurice's early years, he suffered a miserable childhood and abuse filled his life at home. His father, Maxim, was neglectful, cruel, and just plain out wicked. He treated Maurice like a slave. He would follow him around on the family farm, ready to whip him with a belt at a moment's notice. And he forced Maurice to quit school by the age of 15 years old. And by this time, Maurice had only made it to the third grade. His chores on the farm were far too extreme for a kid, but his father didn't care. Ever since he was five years old, he worked from sunup until sundown. The whole time, his father screamed abusive language at him and whipped him with leather. And when he was done abusing Maurice, he would head inside to proceed to beat his wife. This went on for most of Maurice's formative years. Through all the years of torture, Maurice's Catholic faith continued to give him strength. And his mother was the only person who understood what he was going through. So they stuck through it together through it all. Despite the abuse from his father, Maurice was known by neighbors and friends as a gentle soul, at least on the surface. He was often shy and withdrawn, and once he left school for good, he didn't socialize much with other kids. He focused mostly on his farm work because he had no choice. But from all the work, he grew stronger. He completed his chores as fast as he could while his father yelled commands across the farm. And as he got older and stronger into his teens, his father made sure to keep him in constant fear. Maxim knew that if his son ever built up enough confidence, Maurice could easily overpower him. So he made sure to keep him down with verbal and physical abuse. Since Maurice was raised a strict Roman Catholic, the only person he pleaded to for help besides his mother was God. He desperately prayed for God to intervene so that he, his mother, and his siblings could escape this nightmare they lived in. But his prayers were never answered. Some accounts suggest that this was when Maurice turned away from God. He saw that nothing was changing over the years, so he turned to the devil for help instead. And he asked the devil to place a curse on his father. Rumors spread that someone along the way introduced Maurice to the concept of black magic and devil worship. Some suggest it might have been his own father, but no one knows exactly who it was. His desperation to get away from this abusive relationship led him down a dark path. After asking the devil for help, this is when strange things begin to happen, and these things would follow Maurice around for the rest of his life. On one regular day on the farm, Maurice headed into the barn where he caught his father in a sexual act with one of the animals. As he rounded the corner, his father made eye contact with him for whatever reason. He forced Maurice to join in. He tried to forget these events later on, but they continued to haunt him, and this haunting only got worse with age. Some believe that this encounter was the payment for asking the devil for help, and this was the first of many encounters after the wicked contract with the devil. Again, nothing got better. He had pleaded to God and the devil for help, but nothing worked. In his late teens, he tried to escape the farm, and he even tried to join the military to get away from home, but his father wouldn't allow it. So instead, Maurice decided to run away from home 
It was his only way out. He ended up traveling from place to place through New England for nearly 20 years. He picked up a few odd jobs to make money and lived with a few different women. After a long while, he finally settled down, and he got married to a young woman on a family farm in western Massachusetts. Here, he tried his best to live a normal life over the decades that passed, and his neighbors considered him a kind man. He mostly grew tomatoes and sold his crops at a local stand in town. Unfortunately, the kind, hard-working tomato farmer had violent urges. His mind had become corrupted by something sinister. During his first marriage, Maurice claimed that blood would pour from the crucifixes on the walls of their home, and he often flew into violent rages and threatened his wife. But he couldn't remember any of it the next day. He never got treatment for his anger, and his violence only escalated over the years. In 1976, Maurice was charged with the rape of a minor, and he was only sentenced to five years probation for his crimes. It's unknown why his punishment was so small, but it was clear that Maurice had serious and violent tendencies and his wife soon divorced him. During his probation time, he kept his head low and stayed out of trouble. But the scars that were left behind by his father's abuse became open wounds again. In 1981, news came to Maurice that his father had killed his mother, and then killed himself with a shotgun. When he heard the news, Maurice was honestly relieved that his father was gone, but he had taken his mother with him. She was the only one who had helped him get through those tough years on the farm and the death of his mother stayed with him for the rest of his life. Despite this tragedy, though, Maurice tried to move on. He grieved for years over his mother's death, but he wouldn't let this stop him from making a life of his own. In 1984, he married a woman named Nancy, and they had seven children. All the children, though, were from previous relationships, and they never had any children together during their marriage. They ended up moving to Warren, Massachusetts and bought a large farm together. As they settled in, Maurice got the nickname Frenchy around town because his parents were French-Canadian and he spoke fluent French. Since his father had pulled him out of school before he could finish the third grade, his English suffered. So he often spoke French since that's what he was most comfortable with. Through his time in Warren, his neighbors got to know him pretty well. And despite the rape charges, they still thought he was the kindest man you could ever meet. But by 1985, serious problems began to surface. Strange things began happening only a year after he married Nancy. Around his farm, he noticed that spontaneous fires would randomly ignite without reason. Soon Nancy and their children noticed changes in Maurice's behavior. On one night, Nancy woke up in their pitch black bedroom Nothing in particular woke her up. No sound. No light. She just had a feeling that something was wrong. And as her eyes focused in the dark bedroom, she noticed a figure standing over her bed looking at her. She quickly noticed that it was Maurice. He was breathing heavily, and he didn't say a word. He just stood there looming over her. The faint moonlight that came in through the window outlined his face. He wore a blank stare looking right at her. She would call out his name until she could snap him out of his trance. And when he came to, he would have no memory of why he was standing there, staring at her. This happened several more times over the months with no explanation. They didn't know if he was sleepwalking or if there was something more sinister at play. 
but his other strange behavior became more worrisome. Soon traces of blood began to appear around Maurice on the floor and on the walls. And at any given time, blood flowed from his eyes and down his face. And at night, as he would undress and get ready for bed, his wife would notice crosses etched into his back. Deep, jagged scabs would form the holy symbol and French words would also begin to form into his skin like wounds. These words weren't documented, so whatever they said has been lost to time. But along with these strange marks, his wife began noticing other strange phenomena. Nancy noticed Maurice had superhuman strength. Neighbors had even seen him lifting his tractor with one hand with ease. They also believed that he could be in two places at once. Nancy would watch him walk around the house in a daze, One second he'd be watching TV, and the next he'd be pacing through the dining room. So Nancy decided to follow him around and see what he was doing. Sometimes he would get up from the couch and walk to another room, but as Nancy followed him around the corner to the next room, he'd be gone, like he had vanished into thin air. Other times he would have two projections of himself at the same time. When she asked him about this, he would have no memory of the past few hours and his memory loss would only get worse over time. Maurice would forget half of his day sometimes, and along with the memory loss, the family began seeing objects levitating and moving about the house. Neighbors also reported hearing strange voices whenever Maurice was nearby. It clearly wasn't his voice, and it seemed like they came from invisible spirits that followed Maurice around. Still, they had no idea why all these strange events happened around the farm, but they all seemed to focus around Maurice. By early 1985, the family agreed that they needed to do something, so they checked Maurice into a local hospital for a checkup. The doctors began evaluating his physical and mental health, but the paranormal events even followed him into the hospital. Several eyewitnesses noticed objects shifting off tables near Maurice and the blood coming from his eyes. While held down on the hospital bed, Maurice began speaking fluent Latin. Not only was he speaking Latin, but he began speaking it backwards. For many, this was evidence that Maurice had knowledge of things he shouldn't have known. And despite all the strange shit going on, doctors found no signs of physical or mental illness in Maurice. There was no explanation for the bloody tears, the scratches in his back, or the backwards Latin. So they released him from the hospital with a clean bill of health. After his stay, the hospital staff agreed that Maurice seemed like a soft-spoken, well-behaved guy despite the strange events. Even though they couldn't find anything wrong with him, Maurice still knew something wasn't right. So he went home, packed up all his firearms, and turned them into the local police station. He told the police he feared he would do something horrible to himself or his family, and he still often thought about his father's murder-suicide. So he told police to never return these weapons to him. So after getting no help from the hospital, Maurice and his family had to take this problem into their own hands, so they contacted a priest named Father Boyer from the local church. After witnessing several strange events, including the blood coming from Maurice's eyes, the priest ended up contacting Ed and Lorraine Warren to come check out the situation. By now, Ed Warren had become pretty popular as a demonologist. Although he couldn't perform exorcisms, he could assist the priests, which only a few select people could do at the time and he had become a professional and very experienced 
at identifying demonic possessions. So once Ed and Lorraine caught on to Maurice in a situation, the family knew this was serious. The Warrens only spent their time on paranormal events that they thought were real. So they hired a paranormal group to go check out Maurice and his farm. At first, they suspected it had something to do with the property. It seemed like everything that was going on only happened around the farm. So it was possibly a haunting situation. And the longer they stayed in the house, the more intense the activity got. Objects would fly across the room and smash into the walls. When the investigators returned to their hotels, the activity would actually follow them there. Even the biggest skeptics in the paranormal group reported strange events, like being stalked and attacked by evil spirits. They also had intense mood swings where they would go from happy to depressed almost instantly. So the first thing that they tried to do was bless Maurice. If there was a demonic presence, then it might respond to prayer and blessings. So when Maurice tried to recite a Hail Mary, his fists clenched tightly and he grinded his teeth together. Veins bulged from his forehead and he flew into a rage. Before he could finish the prayer, he lunged towards Nancy and wrapped his hands around her throat. Supposedly, this wasn't anything new. After they pulled Maurice off Nancy and she recovered, she told them that he had tried to do this several other times while she slept. For whatever reason, Maurice would get the intense urge to strangle his wife, and this feeling would flip like a light switch. Also during this time, Maurice's stepdaughter accused him of rape Charges were brought against him, but later dropped. And now this was the second charge of rape against him. Maurice claimed that a demon had taken control of him, and he wasn't responsible for any of his horrific actions. There isn't much more information about this criminal case, and it's not clear exactly why the charges were dropped. But my guess is, there just was a lack of evidence. But either way, violence had become normal, in Maurice's day-to-day life, and something had to change quickly before it was too late. After Maurice claimed he was possessed, local law enforcement put pressure on the local church to heal Maurice. He was even put in a state hospital for a short stay. But in the end, they didn't diagnose him with any mental illness. After seeing his behavior, Ed and Lorraine Warren became convinced this wasn't a haunting situation or a mental health issue. In their eyes, it was clearly a demonic possession. Something evil had taken hold of Maurice, and it wasn't going to let him go without a fight. So they called in Robert McKenna. Father McKenna was their go-to exorcist from Monroe, and they had contracted him about several other possessions before. Robert later became a bishop, but in 1985 he was still only a priest, and he was a member of a smaller section within the Roman Catholic Church. After several examinations, they all decided that an exorcism was Maurice's best option. But the problem was, an exorcism of Maurice wasn't sanctioned by the Catholic Church. The belief in demonic possession has been around for as long as Satan himself. But it wasn't until 253 BCE that exorcisms became a formal practice in the church. There are three types of exorcisms that are common. The exorcism of objects like houses, the exorcism of new candidates for baptism, and the exorcism of people under demonic possession. Under the old Roman Catholic law, each bishop had to assign one priest as an exorcist. But after the Renaissance, exorcisms weren't as common. Rationalism and science became more popular over time, 
and by 1983 the church amended the exorcism law. The new law states that a bishop no longer needs to have an exorcist. So real exorcists became much more rare, and exorcisms had to go through a series of intense evaluations to be officially sanctioned by the church. Even though Father McKenna and the Warrens believed that this was the best option, the church didn't approve of the exorcism, so they had to keep it quiet. This would later spark controversy over whether Maurice was truly possessed or not, since the ritual wasn't sanctioned, but they decided to go through with it anyway. This also turned out to be the first exorcism ever caught on video. As Maurice sat in a wooden chair, they began the ritual. As the prayers filled the room, Maurice quickly became uncomfortable. The left side of his face began to bubble up. Small disturbances built up beneath his skin, and small wounds burst open. In a moment, a massive scar opened up on the left side of his forehead, and blood began to slowly pulse from the wound while the ritual continued. During all of this, the witnesses began to see his facial expression change as well, and blood began to pool in his eyes, and his pupils formed two slits like the eyes of a serpent. Father McKenna then commanded the demon to identify himself. Maurice looked at the priest with his snake eyes and said, I am what I am, and you say I'm proud. I'm the legion of evil here to corrupt humanity. The ritual continued and the prayers continued to fill the room. Maurice's demonic eyes then rolled back into his head, and he slumped over in his chair like the energy had been drained out of him. With nothing left, he fell out of his chair and down to the floor. As he tried to lift himself up, the witnesses noticed that the wounds on his face began to heal. The rancid bubbles around his cheek began to fade, and the gash in his forehead started to seal itself. The atmosphere of the room felt like a dark energy had finally retreated, and Maurice called out for his wife, Nancy. Relief filled the room when it seemed like it was finally over. It was apparent to Father McKenna and the Warrens that they had just witnessed an evil demon leave Maurice's body. The exorcism seemed to have cleansed Maurice of his possession, but it wasn't over. He still had a rough road ahead. Maurice returned to his life and tried to set everything back to normal. He went back to being a family man and a simple farmer once again, but the town of Warren, Massachusetts shunned Maurice. Many locals no longer supported his farming business, and legal fees began stacking up. So Maurice was forced to sell the property, and they moved to a much smaller farm a few towns over. Eventually, the author Michael LaSalandra wrote a book documenting the strange events. Michael was a reporter who had originally covered the possession case in the Boston Herald, and he got the Warrens, Maurice, Nancy, and the local police in on the project. The book was later released in 1990 titled Satan's Harvest. The shocking case of demonic possession from the reporters who first covered it in the Boston Herald. While going on the book tour, Maurice began attracting a lot of attention. His fame grew, and sketchy people began showing up to his farmhouse out of nowhere. Some of the visitors claimed they were devil worshippers or black magicians. Even though Maurice tried to move forward with his life, his new fame pulled him back. By 1992, Maurice fell back into his old ways. Whatever had infested his mind all those years ago had never truly left. He began threatening his wife and other family members, and he even began leaving the house and threatening his neighbors. His family wondered if these were strange outbursts or if this was the demon taking control of him again. So once again they reached out to Ed and Lorraine Warren, and they decided to perform another exorcism. This time it was on a much smaller scale. There were no bloody wounds of crosses on his back, 
no objects levitating and no blood coming from his eyes. Maurice was just filled with anger. So they assumed it wasn't as serious as before. But even though it wasn't as serious, this lingering rage and paranormal energy had enough stronghold on Maurice. The next exorcism failed, and Maurice was still plagued by this evil energy. And over time, this took a toll on Maurice's marriage. And in September 1992, Nancy filed for divorce and also filed for a restraining order against Maurice. With no other option, Maurice left the farmhouse, but his festering rage grew. And eventually it was too late for Maurice to turn back. The madness consumed him. And in the end, Maurice wasn't that much different from his father. So he figured he would go out the same way. On one night, November 3rd, 1992, Maurice Thoreau returned to the farmhouse. He snuck around the property and cut the phone line before breaking in. He headed to the basement where he grabbed a 12-gauge shotgun. After noticing Nancy wasn't home, he sat in the basement waiting for her to return. Eventually, he heard the front door open and Nancy's footsteps cross the floorboards. Maurice decided to confront her before doing anything else. Before carrying out his plan, he wanted to get a few last words in. After heading up the stairs, Maurice caught Nancy in the living room. The moment they made eye contact, he stood there with a shotgun in hand. His glassy eyes made him look deranged. After a quick scuffle, Nancy broke free and ran out of the house. But before she could scream out to a neighbor for help, Maurice aimed the shotgun from one of the windows and pulled the trigger. A shot rang out as Nancy fell to the ground. Her left arm and the left side of her torso had been hit. She was wounded but still alive. Maurice then bolted outside and grabbed Nancy with one arm and dragged her back inside. Even though he was 56 years old at this point, he still had incredible strength. He dragged Nancy into the living room and sat her down. He stood across from her with the shotgun in hand, and he looked at her and said, You're never going to forget this. Nancy then witnessed a strange event. Maurice fumbled with the shotgun for a moment. It looked like he was trying to put the barrel in his mouth, but struggled to do it. According to Nancy, it looked like he was wrestling with himself. He fought something within him, like two separate minds were at odds with each other, but eventually one overpowered the other, and the shotgun barrel slid into his mouth. A loud bang shook the room as a shotgun blast rang out, and Maurice fell to the floor, dead. He ended his life just like his father did almost a decade before, but luckily Nancy survived the attack. After his death, vocal skeptics came forward to debunk Maurice's possession. Maurice's sister Dana later said that the whole thing was fake. She accused Maurice of being an actor and staging the whole thing. She also said that Maurice never spoke Latin. He only spoke a different dialect, a French that sounded like Latin. She even claimed that she had seen Maurice scratch crosses into his skin and put the drops of fake blood into his eyes to make them look like they were bleeding. In the end, she tried to poke holes in everything about the paranormal case. But many argued that Father McKenna would have been able to tell the difference between French and Latin since during that time many priests and mass exclusively in Latin. And he was one of the key witnesses during Maurice's possession. People also noticed that Maurice's sister only came forward after her brother died. She had stayed silent during the entire book tour and his rise to fame. So many wondered why she only spoke out against him after his death. Other skeptics pointed out that his superhuman strength was only a trick. He had lifted the tractor with one hand but only because it was counterbalanced with a load of rocks on the other side. They also claimed that the exorcism video might have been doctored and manipulated, but the video was shot on VHS. 
and no one has ever attempted to recreate what had happened with practical effects. Plus, several witnesses saw the skin bubbling on Maurice's cheek and the gash opening up on his forehead during the exorcism. One of the biggest things skeptics point to was Maurice's character. Despite many people thinking that Maurice was a kind, honest, hardworking guy, others thought the exact opposite. Many brought up his previous rape of a minor charge in 1976. Plus, he was accused and charged for raping his stepdaughter in 1985, the same year of his exorcism. The charges were later dropped because Maurice had blamed his horrific behavior on his demonic possession. Skeptics argued that this possession was only staged for him to get out of the rape charges. But others saw this as evidence that he was truly possessed by something evil. Others argue that Maurice might have suffered from multiple personality disorder or disassociative identity disorder, but he was never diagnosed by a medical professional. People constantly point to Maurice's abuse of childhood and his relationship with his father. This toxic relationship, so early in life, might have contributed to Maurice's violent behavior through the years. His past abuse and psychology have been up for debate ever since his story brought him fame. But Maurice was never diagnosed with anything, as far as we know. So the inner workings of his mind are still a mystery. Despite these questions, Maurice's story has become a landmark in demonic possession. His life ended the way it began with violence and abuse, and everything in between was plagued with evil. If this evil energy was brought on by demonic possession or not, we might never know the full truth. But it was clear that Maurice suffered from a disturbed mind. In between his moments of kindness and friendliness, he always constantly returned to threats, rape, and attempted murder. And in the end, this darker side got the best of him. What could have been the story of redemption ended with a tragedy, and Maurice will always be remembered for this. Just like the final words he had said to his wife before his tragic end. You're never going to forget this. That concludes this very dark and disturbing account of the exorcism of Maurice Thero. I want to know if you think if the wounds in the exorcism video are real. When I take a look at it, if it is real, I've never seen anything like it before. But again, anytime there's a video recording of something, there could have been some doctoring going on. At the same time, it looks like it could have been some special effects makeup, but it's like, really, why would anybody go through such trouble to create the illusion that they're demonically possessed. And the only sort of reason for why you'd go through that is to cover up crimes such as rape. So is it possible that Maurice faked this whole thing and he was sort of just this bad actor that faked this demonic possession? Yes, it's possible. But what gets me is the fact that Father McKenna Ed and Lorraine Warren, which again, but again, a lot of people think that the cases that Ed and Lorraine Warren investigated were all bullshit and that they're just a big hoax. And I get that. There's a lot of people that are very, very skeptical of them. I've done a lot of research into their cases. I looked at a lot of different things. There is, there's a fair amount of evidence to back up a lot of their cases, physical, um, as well as eyewitness testimony. So it's like at some point, some of these cases would just have way too many people involved in the hoax for it to be a hoax. You know what I mean? So obviously I have some skepticism towards this case, but ultimately I think it is very possible that this individual was possessed by some evil spirit 
or demon, perhaps. And demons are, you know, depending on what culture you look at a religion, they're all called by different names, but ultimately it's an evil spirit. I mean, if you look at Catholicism, Christianity, angels, demons, those are the names that are coined to, you know, positive or light beings and negative and dark entities. But I think personally, if you dwell in the dark long enough, I do believe that if you spend enough time in the dark or black magic or devil worshiping, whatever you want to call it, that eventually you will manifest these dark entities and whether they're demons or you know whatever they look like, if they even have a physical form to them, I think you can bring that into your life. And then on top of the fact, just being disturbed from the get go from his childhood to the things that he did throughout his life. I think that only adds fuel to the fire. And so, yeah, I do think it's very possible that he was possessed by some evil spirit. And ultimately it seems like the blessings and exorcisms done by father McKenna seemed to help, but ultimately I don't think it ever rid him from the evil that he had within because he's just, he had spent his entire life sort of dwelling in this darkness that there was no coming back from it. Very, very tragic story. And again, I mean, he did go to the hospital several times. They did check him for mental health. Again, we don't have all the records and everything. I mean, you could poke holes in in a lot of it, but the fact that all the reports say that there was no diagnosis for mental health, again, it was the 80s, so perhaps they didn't have, you know, the tools or the information to equip them with diagnosing him with the mental illness he truly had. And again, that's why there's a lot of cases from, you know, pre-2000 of exorcisms and you know i've tried to look for more recent cases of it and they're very very difficult to find because oftentimes those that claim demonic possession end up having some sort of mental illness schizophrenia or some other type of disorder so it's very interesting because i think the the mental health world and the spiritual world sort of intertwine with each other at times and i think that oftentimes because we do live in this age of rationalism and science that we tend to go that direction versus a spiritual direction, because obviously there's a lot of people that don't believe in, uh, you know, spirituality. They're just, you know, it's science and that's it. So I, I think there's a fine middle ground between the two and it takes somebody truly equipped with both in order to truly diagnose somebody with demonic possession. But it is very rare that a person truly has some sort of demonic possession. You don't hear about it that often. But this was a very interesting case from the Warren files, and I always love diving into their archives of all the investing. I mean, what an interesting lives. At the very least, if you don't believe that they really witnessed the things that they did, what an interesting thing to do for a living. I mean, like we've covered in other cases, Ed was a demonologist, which again, demonologists, it's a self-studied practice, so it's not like there's a school to go you know, learn about being a demonologist, but he was very knowledgeable in uh, demons and the history of demons and, you know, how they sort of inhabit uh, people's bodies and souls. But then on the other side, you've got Lorraine, who is a medium clairvoyant. And so when you put the two together, I mean, it's just a fascinating combo, especially for a husband wife duo. But yeah, this case could go either way, I think. So let me know what your thoughts are. I personally think that this could be very well a real case of demonic possession that was just spurred by abuse and mental health issues throughout his life.
But at the end of the day, we don't really know. This could have all been a hoax. It could have been just a way to cover for his very poor and evil behavior. But let me know what you think of the exorcism of Maurice Thero. Also, let me know if there are other Warren files or Warren cases out there you'd like me to cover in the future. I'm still looking for more. They're kind of hard to find these days, as well as research. I've covered pretty much all of the major ones, which, by the way, if you want an easy way to watch all of the Warren files, I do have a playlist on YouTube, the Lights Out YouTube channel. You can actually watch all the Warren files, which I think we're up to like seven or eight, maybe more than that, honestly. Really, really interesting stuff. But I'm going to go ahead and wrap up today's episode there. Thank you again for joining me for another episode of the Lights Out Podcast. I'll see you next week. But until then, Lights Out, everybody.